just thinking for a few minutes about the power of Christmas to change, and yet at the same time, the way in which uh, Christmas has changed over the years. Looking at it, it's quite interesting to find out that uh, Christmas was celebrated as a a Christian uh, festival, part of the church calendar. There's evidence from around about 250 300 AD, something like that, was where there was a remembrance around about this time or from something like the uh, 20th of December through to early January, moving around that kind of time, the church were remembering as a, a day of celebration or a day of feast. Now, looking back, I guess we need to remember that those, those kind of punctuation marks through the year were really important. Uh, in history, those uh, feasts of celebration, various points in the calendar uh, remembered. Uh, at the same time, the, there was the amazing occurrence where the church or the Christian faith, which had been so oppressed during the early part of the Roman Empire in its, its early stages of uh, the emergence of the Christian faith, it was so persecuted, so attacked. Uh, there was a point at which there was a decree by one of the Caesars to get rid of all of the existence of all of the Bibles, all of the pieces of Scripture, collect them all up, get rid of them, uh, and that seemed to have been served, and uh, another Caesar came into power and reversed that, uh, and within a day, he asked for Scriptures, and within a day, he was presented with a full copy of everything that they had at that time. In an amazing way, the church seemed to uh, survive incredible persecution, and then the, the persecuting power, the Roman authorities, then adopted the Christian faith, and it spread throughout the whole of the empire. Some would say that wasn't necessarily the best day for the church. There's lots of reasons to think that might be the case. Um, But it did, it spread, and it started to adopt various other, um, sort of sucked in various other celebrations. This particular time of year, uh, a point at the the shortest day of the year in in the Northern Hemisphere, in Scandinavia there was a celebration called Yule, and that was kind of subsumed into this Christian faith that was, was rolling out across the whole of the empire. The Christian faith was known right the way, the Christmas time was known right the way through 12th, 13th, 14th, 15th century. Uh, In this country, actually, there was a movement, the Puritan movement, which actually banned Christmas. Uh, William the Conqueror and all of his uh, fellow men decided that Christmas was an unnecessary church celebration, so Christmas was banned, and yet somehow Christmas survived, even though it was banned at that particular point in time. The Christmas that we know, the shift that really took place, in fact the springboard for the way that the whole of our culture celebrates Christmas, probably can be identified to a number of things, but mostly to the publication in 1843 of Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. 
he actually presented an idea of Christmas which was not so common, but an idea which he loved, the idea of goodwill to all men, the idea of celebration and feast and a time of holiday, which was emerging, but it was really that book, A Christmas Carol, which just kind of exploded the idea of Christmas. And so the Victorians took on uh, remarkably uh, the Christmas tradition. It was certainly a tradition in Germany as well. But, you know, some of the things that you, you find out when you're looking back at old Christmases are quite surprising. Uh, national papers were published on Christmas Day until 1912. Uh, post was delivered until, on Christmas Day until 1961. Now, some of us were actually around in 1961, some of us weren't, but it's not that long ago, is it? And we think that Christmas is just this amazing, incredible uh, uh, holiday time, and yet just in 1961, the post was still delivered. Uh, they played football on Christmas Day until the 1950s, the league football was played until the 1950s, and in Scotland they played until the 1970s. So really, Christmas as we think of it is, is a relatively new experience. And yet at the same time, it isn't. It's changed in all sorts of ways, but it is still something of incredible uh, importance. It survived principally because it takes us back to that moment that we read of the, the, the kind of the introduction of the idea of Christmas, uh, Chris read for us, where Mary is visited by God's spokesperson who says there is going to be an incredible event. You, a virgin, are going to conceive a child. That's where Christmas now reminds us of 2,000 or so years ago. So let's take a step back. What would it have been like then Let's hold a few conversations. Well, the first thing that it's kind of stating the obvious, really, but, but sometimes we don't realize it. But if we went back, we wouldn't think about it as Christmas. It was just another day. We wouldn't think about this particular event as being Christmas. You know, it's not the, the, the moment that... Uh, in history that it all took place was where another massive event was going on where Caesar Augustus was, had sent out a, degree, a decree that everybody should return to their towns where they were born or where their family line was from so that there could be a huge census taken so that taxing could be organized. I, I, it's very clear, it's, it is stating the obvious, but Caesar wouldn't have said to his advisors, look, I'm, I'm thinking about doing this, we're going to hold a census. There wouldn't have been anybody who would have said, well, don't do it then because it's Christmas. And nobody will want to travel at Christmas because it, it, there was no Christmas. It, it just didn't happen. It was just an ordinary day. And yet here we find this young family... Uh, in the middle of the chaos of a huge shift of people. 
People moving around all over the, all over the country to different towns, traveling in all sorts of different directions. No doubt, as Mary and Joseph traveled into Bethlehem, no doubt there would have been people traveling out of Bethlehem to go on somewhere else because they weren't born in Bethlehem. They'd have had to travel on to another place. You might have even found that there were people who were traveling from Bethlehem back to Nazareth, where Mary and Joseph had traveled from, because that was their hometown. And there were people traveling backwards and forwards, but congregating and centering on these historical birth towns of their family, the place where their family was particularly identified with. And here we have Mary and Joseph arriving as this little family struggling in this town. It's the first Christmas, but let's have a conversation, shall we, with Joseph. Imagine that conversation. Joseph had committed himself to be married to Mary. They lived in a culture which was essentially a shame-based culture. What that means is that, if you like, society was controlled, as society was kept in order by the fact that we didn't do anything to bring shame on our family or those close to us. That's how society was kept in place. And Joseph finds that his betrothed wife, that means kind of much stronger than being engaged, is found to be having a child. She is pregnant. It is the most astounding decision that Joseph takes to not make the decision which he decided he would do, which was to, if you like, quietly allow her to move off and to live with her family quietly somewhere else, to actually stick with her and to stay with her and to endure a commitment of life together where there would be accusations of shame towards them. They would have the finger pointed at them for all of their married life. They were the ones where she had a baby before they were married. That was the culture that they lived in at the time. I want to ask Joseph, Joseph, why did you do that? Why did you make that commitment? Why did you make that decision? He would say this, I was wanting to do something different, but there was one night where God spoke to me through a visitation by his spokesperson, who said to me, don't do that. Commit yourself to this woman because the child that she is going to bear is is going to be the promised one of God. And he made the decision then to stay with her. That is a remarkable step that he took, isn't it? He decided to stay with her. Imagine the conversation with Mary. Against all of the accusations which would have 
and, and it's pretty clear from later references in the Bible that Mary and Joseph had these accusations in a shame-based culture that she got pregnant before they were married. She is the one person in the whole of the world who knows absolutely, hand on heart, completely true, that I am pregnant and I am a virgin. She's the one person who truly knows that in this world, isn't she? By, by very definition. You say, Mary, wh why did you commit yourself to that? Why did you stick with Joseph? Why did you endure all of this? Why did you go through everything? And she would say exactly the same. <laughs> Isn't that remarkable? She would say exactly the same as Joseph if we had the conversation with her. The peace that I found, my ability to go on with this was quite simply this. Because there was a night where God spoke to me through his messenger. He said, essentially what Chris read earlier, you are going to conceive and you are going to bear the promised one of God. And many, many people are going to rejoice and be glad because of the child that you are bearing. I find that remarkable, that the two people, the two central figures in the Christmas story, aside of the baby Jesus, both of them are convinced that they are there together because God has spoken to them. It is the most outlandish and outrageous claim to make unless they are telling the truth to us. It's an astounding thing that they are saying. And they've said, this is why we are together. And, and here we find them, the central characters, but they don't look like central characters to this story. They just look like everybody else who's traveling. They arrive in Bethlehem, and we all know the story from countless nativities over the years. They arrive, and there's no room for them in the inn. There's nowhere for them to stay. There's no comfortable place for this pregnant woman to, to find a place to rest uh, and surprisingly to have her baby while they are in Bethlehem. It is very, very clear, I would say, from the narrative that they virtually arrive at Bethlehem and Mary has the baby. That, that's how it works. Because they've arrived, there's no space for them to stay. They manage to find this place to stay in, in an outhouse stable um, behind the inn. So at least it was sheltered. At least it had the opportunity on a cold Middle Eastern night to allow some protection from the elements. And in that place, Mary has a baby. A, a baby is born into this world. In one sense, it is the most insignificant event, really. I, I would imagine there must have been, I don't know, how many babies must have been born that night? There must have been a few, at least, in the Middle East, mustn't there? There must have been a few other pregnant women who were traveling because of the census, there must have been other people who were giving birth around that time. And yet we remember one 
tiny peasant family and one birth. A birth which they claim God spoke to them about before. They were not significant people. They weren't royalty. They weren't prominent people. They were just ordinary people, but they recounted that God had spoken to them. Their lives, in fact, their Christmases, I reckon, maybe, they celebrated birthdays. I don't know, actually, whether there was a tradition of remembering birthdays in those days. I don't know. I guess, probably, because we like to remember those things, don't we? Their first Christmas, their lives were turned upside down. That moment in history, for them, would have been remembered absolutely Every year, they would have brought their minds back to that incredible event where they just arrived at Bethlehem, and then there in a stable she gave birth. But they remember it for many other reasons. They'd remember it firstly because they were told about what was going to happen beforehand by God speaking. But then, after, after the birth of Jesus, while they are there, there's shepherds who are another group of insignificant people who rock up to Bethlehem and turn up at the stable. And, and they say, in a slightly different way, exactly the same thing. Mary was spoken to by a voice from God's spokesperson. Joseph was spoken to by a voice from God's spokesperson. The shepherds come in and say, do you know what? We were spoken to by a voice from God's spokesperson. And that God's spokesperson said this is what's happened down in Bethlehem, go and see it. That's why we're here. Their life was turned upside down. But again, I would say, all of that, we would forget. Strange things have been happening for both of them, but all of those things we would forget, apart from the fact that the life that Jesus then lived, the subsequent life that Jesus lived, was as remarkable as his birth. And that's the reason that we remember that man. His birth is significant not because of his birth. His birth is significant because of his life. I think that's really important for us to grasp. Christmas isn't Christmas because of Jesus, the importance of Jesus' birth. It's important because his life becomes significant, and therefore his birth becomes important. You know, a voice speaking to Mary, a voice speaking to Joseph, angels declaring his birth, all of that would have been forgotten, apart from the life that he then lived. And you'd say, well, that's absolutely fascinating. He lived for around about 33 years, but 30 of those years we know nothing about, next to nothing about. So actually, when we talk about his life, we're talking about a few years at the end of his life where he was appointed by God then to speak and to minister and finally to die on a cross. That's remarkable, isn't it? That is what makes Christmas significant. We would be able to say to Joseph, 
because he didn't see this. He died before Jesus was born. We would be able to say to Joseph, you know those incredible events that centered around the birth of Jesus? Your son. We could say to him, now we understand why it was so significant. It was so significant because that tiny little one born into this world was no less than the incarnate God come into the world who was subsequently nailed to a cross. And even then, if that's all the story of Jesus, we would still not remember it. An incredible birth. 30 years of invisibility, three years of ministry, and then dying on a cross. Do you know that wouldn't have been particularly unusual? There were lots of people who lived a life of around that kind of length and died on a cross in that location around that time. Crucifixion was not an unusual thing. The reason that we could say to Joseph, we see the story in its completion. The reason that we could say to him, 2,000 years later, we're still remembering the birth of your son is because of this. Because the Christian faith claims that what was born in Bethlehem was the hope of life. And we know that he is the hope of life because when he died, he then lived again. That is the only reason why we remember Christmas. It's the only reason why the life of Jesus has any kind of significance. Not because he died on a cross. That is not important if he hadn't lived again. And then all of a sudden, his living again makes his dying on a cross incredibly significant. It makes his three years of ministry incredibly significant. It makes his birth incredibly significant. None of us, I guess, will be able to claim that our lives change the whole of the world. <laughs> Most of us, I guess, in some way want to leave something to those that we love, some sort of memory, some sort of remembrance, but the reality is, within a few generations, we will be forgotten. We will. But Jesus, 2,000 years later, we remember because he lived again. That is the only reason. Paul puts it like this. The preaching of Jesus dying on a cross is a complete waste of time if it wasn't for the fact that he rose again. That's what he says, essentially. Because he rose again, everything becomes relevant. I would say then, that we can connect ourselves to that first Christmas in this way. Mary and Joseph were just two ordinary people, but they were caught up into the act of God in this world, weren't they? They weren't expecting it. The only reason they followed it through was because God directly spoke to them and encouraged them and assured them. 
And as soon as he did that, they followed it through. And they lived their lives caught up in God's act in this world, God's intervention in this world. They they weren't expecting to do anything other than to go to Bethlehem and to complete the census. And probably they were expecting at some point Mary is likely to give birth, but that was it. That's all that they were going to do. And then after that, the whole of their life changed because they were caught up into the act of God. I want to suggest this, that that is the enduring power of Christmas for each one of us. Christmas is just, in one sense, it can be an irrelevance. It can be just another moment to have a break from work, to eat and drink and spend time with, with friends and family, and that is fantastic. That is great. But it is so passing, isn't it? It's here today and it's gone tomorrow. Well, actually, gone in about four days. It, it, it just passes. But what Christmas invites us to do is for us individually to be caught up in the act of God in this world, to be changed by the intervention of God in this world. And that means that our engaging with Jesus is being caught up in all of the steps of His act in this world, caught up in His birth, caught up in His ministry, caught up in His death, caught up in His resurrection, and caught up in his return to heaven. That is the enduring power of Christmas to change us. I want to invite you um, over this Christmas time, in all of the relaxation, hopefully, and fun and joy and celebration, for all of us, no matter where we are in our relationship with Jesus, if we are truly believers in Jesus, just to pause and to remember that Christmas says we're caught up in that act. We're caught up into His life. We're caught up into relationship with Him, an enduring, life-changing relationship with Him. On the other hand, maybe if we're just new to this idea of the Christian message, can I just ask you maybe to some, at some point just to pause and to say, Am I caught up into that? Or is this just another little punctuation in my life that gives me an opportunity to rest a bit? Or is it something more significant? We're going to close with a final uh, carol, which is Joy to the World. But I want to wish you all, on behalf of everybody at Christchurch, and to all of us at Christchurch, from the ministry team, I want to wish you a very, very Merry Christmas.